eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This is and always will be the greatest spectacle in racing. This is the Indianapolis 500. Here comes Dixon. And award, Santino Ferrucci. My goodness. Wow. wow, that is big. Award stays out. Connor Daly looks to be following. Oh, oh. Dixon locks up. Is that going to be a pit speed violation? Scott Dixon got caught for speeding, guys. There you go. Oh. He's going to have to serve a drive-through oh, penalty. My goodness. Unbelievable. And there goes Felix Rosenquist to the front of the field at the Indy 500. Dixon, bad luck, strikes again. Erickson to the inside. Oh, crash. Jimmy Johnson. Oh, red flag. This changes the game totally. This is going to be a two-lap challenge like you have never seen. Here we go. Great restart, Erickson. And Award is on the attack. Here comes Pato. Erickson won't let it happen. Really bold driving. It'll finish under caution. Everybody, you just won the Indy 500. Marcus Erickson wins the Indianapolis 500 in the most dramatic way. Thanks a lot to all the fans who decided to stick around tonight. They have been watching racing here for five hours. And they've seen a lot of great racing. There's been a lot going on during five hours. Larson throttled down, hustles off turn two. Briscoe now slides up, squeezes Larson. Larson will not have any of it. Chase Briscoe spins. He's into the outside wall. The caution comes out. Oh, by the way, we're going to overtime. Everybody on your feet. Let's find out how this whole thing is going to go down. Larson's in control by a car length. They're going to go three wide into three. Austin Dillon to the bottom of the racetrack. Here comes Dillon on the bottom. He'll get side by side with Larson on four. Now we've got a car in the wall spinning. That's Austin Dillon. Also, Kyle Larson is caught up in this. Joey Logano, Cole Custer, all involved in this crash here. Our second overtime is about to get underway. Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin racing for supremacy here. They look at the white flag. It's a dead heat. Bush edges ahead, but here comes Hamlin battling back to the inside. Danny Hamlin has done it. He's won it. He's finally going to grab the checkered flag in the Coca-Cola 600. His first ever victory in NASCAR's longest race, and tonight it was longer than usual. Five hours plus of action at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Well, that's how it sounded. The greatest day in racing is sadly behind us. Welcome to NASCAR America Motor Mouse. Dustin Long, Jeff Burton, Steve Latart. Well, it is the greatest day in racing, without a doubt. None of us were lucky enough to go to Monaco, but we did have someone in Indy and Charlotte. Dustin, Indianapolis, the tradition continues how many times? 14. All right, 14 trips to the 500. Well, give us a sense. I saw it on TV. The racing was great. 
How about the atmosphere? The, the, I mean, it seemed like it was full Indianapolis. Yeah, it was. It was uh, spending time with 325,000 of my closest friends and, uh, you know, so, and some of the, my crazy cousins, I guess you'd say, and, and just the, the spectacular views and just the, you know, the atmosphere, the energy, the excitement, just the, the vibe and just how it builds. And, and, you know, one of the fun things for me is, you know, I'm fortunate to, to be in a job where I travel to races each and every week, but I'm going as a job. This time I got to go as a fan and just kind of enjoy, you know, the tailgating with people and different fans, sitting in the stands with fans and having the conversations and seeing the reactions. And I will say this, in my section, there were a lot of Jimmy Johnson fans yeah. out there, and they were really excited. My mom especially, she really wanted to see <laughs> Jimmy win. She was, she was all about Jimmy. But, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a great atmosphere and a fun time. Well, and a, two sets of two-lap shootouts. We had a two-lap shootout in India between uh, Erickson basically went on to win the race, great defensive moves, and uh, a couple two-lap shootouts at the longest 600. So how did uh, five hours and 16 minutes of the Coca-Cola 600 teach you? I was there for every minute of it. It was, uh, you know, it was the, 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 the Coke 600 was at 600 miles, but you, it was crazy. Like, it was something happening the entire time. I would have to say probably one of the more entertaining 600-mile races I've ever, ever watched. Uh, you didn't know what to watch, Steve. Like, it was so much racing throughout the entire field. And then the guys up front, you know, the only way to win and run up front with these cars is to push them to their limit. You have to be on the edge. And when you are, I mean, I was standing in the middle of one and two. I had the seat like I used to have at South Boston Speedway, but they're going 50 mile an hour. These guys are going 150 when they go by you. And it was every two or three laps, somebody would come by there and almost hit the wall or hit the wall. And it's just... It was so much fun to watch. I have so much respect for what these drivers are doing with these cars because they are on edge every single lap, the guys that are making lap time. Well, we have a great show for you this evening. We're going to have Ty Dillon join the show. Ty off a great top 15 in the Coca-Cola 600, back full-time cup racing. We're going to talk to Ty about his season behind and his season ahead. Brad Doherty, owner of JTG, or part owner. He had another good run with Ricky Stenhouse. We keep saying that a lot, it seems, recently. And then our old buddy Parker Kligerman has found his way into a cup car, and he'll be at Gateway, uh, I believe, in a Rick Ware racing entry. We're going to confirm that when Parker joins us in the fourth segment. I mean, where should we start? Longest race... Five hours, biggest takeaway, Hamlin wins, 48th win. I mean, the storylines out of the 600 are vast. There are many. For me, I think we should start with the guy who celebrated in victory lane. Denny Hamlin, it's well documented, doesn't have a championship. He's had a couple shots. I was shocked. I've known him a long time. 48 wins, 16th all time. He now wins. We no longer have the Brickyard, right? But he's won the other big ones. He's won uh, at Darlington. He is won now at Charlotte. He has won multiple Daytona 500s. Even at this age, finding a way to win, Jeff, surprised or not surprised when the chaos cleared, it was Denny Hamlin in victory lane? That's right up his alley, isn't it? I mean, it just seems like he finds himself to the front. And, you know, this is Denny Hamlin has to be considered one of our best race car drivers in, in this sports history. I'm not saying top five, but, you know, top 12, top 15 for sure. Consistently he runs up front. Consistently he finds a way. Going into this year and last year, a lot of conversations about – is owning a team going to be a distraction? On top of that, not only is he owning a team, he's got himself way out in front of the media, way out in front of the fans, giving his opinion about a lot of things, and it hasn't phased him one bit. Um, Denny Hamlin's the best race car driver he's ever been in his career, in my opinion. He's able to maintain focus with the chaos, which I think early in his career was a weakness. That's now become a strength. He I'd, I know he's been inconsistent this year. I know they've had a lot of problems, but I don't know how you can't look at that guy almost every year the same way I feel about Kevin Harvick. Their performance hasn't been there. 
he's going to be a guy you have to beat for the championship. Denny Hamlin is just that good. Yeah, I, I think he is that good. And Dustin, I think it is absolutely fair to put his context of the sport as his complete NASCAR global context. My point is, he is a championship-level driver without a championship, 48 race wins, driving for a huge, huge organization. He is very vocal as a driver out there talking about whatever the hot topic he wants to discuss. He's not afraid to tweet it or talk about it. Like it or don't like it, I appreciate that. I like when a star is willing to speak and doesn't hide behind other people. He also is not afraid to be vocal as an owner. Um, and listen, we give, we tip our hats to the Rick Hendricks and, and yep. you know, Richard Childresses, but that's a huge step to become an owner, to buy two charters, to partner with Michael Jordan, to convince him to join. And I'll add on top of that that you know, he then has – he's not shying away as a driver or an owner in the media, but then he also doesn't shy away from the tough questions because I, much like others, questioned if the distraction of ownership was real. I think it's real, but I think he is learning, as we all do every day, how to manage it. And, um, you know, pick crew changes on the 11. There's a lot of storylines around this win. No crew chief. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll you tell know. you what, that's, that's the one thing that just, you know, intrigues me is that, you know, I talked to Chris Gabehart uh, – uh, few weeks ago at, at Darlington and where they had another race where they were strong and had all sorts of rough luck and you know at the time he was telling me he's like look we are the most dangerous 22nd place <laughs> team in points in the sports history and he was right because they were good it's just they had not been able to put together a complete race they kept tripping over themselves or having issues here and there and it's just like at least I had the feeling that if they can get through races clean, that this is a team you don't want to mess with because they've got all the parts and pieces. They've had the success. You know, uh, Denny, look, you, you learn from your experiences, and Denny certainly has had his tough luck at, in championship races and championship experiences. You know, what doesn't, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. To me, that should make, you know, Denny Hamlin like, you know, the, like the, the strong man at the circus, you yeah. know, the, the big strong guy in that sense in the garage. So. Um, you know, I like the things that they're doing. It's interesting that they put everything together and how well it worked with uh, Chris Gabehart out this week and two different pit crew members because of serving that suspension. So, again, that, that shows the strength of that organization. They just haven't been able to put it together. And if they continue to do that, like I said, look out. Well, you mentioned clean race. Um, the driver who had anything but a clean race but still had a chance to win was Kyle Larson, leading laps late. I think the 16th yellow if I have my math right, of the night was the most vital and turning point for the race because it was when Chase Briscoe finally stumbled chasing down Kyle Larson. And I think it's worth reliving. So I don't think anyone is surprised, even the disaster of the first half that Kyle Larson had. By the way, great pep talk by his crew chief. Did you, did you, did you ever give it. any kind of spe speech like that in your uh, Well, absolutely, but we never went from back to the front. I mean, this is an impressive so, group. So you gave good speeches. Well, they just never listened to I you. I mean, that was an impressive speech to get Kyle Larson refocused. Rarely do we say he needs it, but I believe he did. Yeah. Um, they got him refocused, and sure, there he is, leading laps. And right behind him, his old dirt racing buddy, Chase Briscoe. And I'm talking breathing down his necks. But... I don't think we can look over Chase Briscoe a little too deep, a little too far. It's right here. Two laps to go. Victory in sight. Now, I do appreciate him not wrecking the five because he could have held the wheel straight and probably took them both in the fence. He ended up wrecking himself with this bonsai move. I'm going to go to the driver first. Jeff, Chase Briscoe is now a race winner. We saw aggression in Indy that didn't pay off, aggression in the dirt race, and aggression here. Good aggression, too far. Where is the veteran driver stand on this? Well, listen, I think the only way you can win with these race cars is to put them on the edge. I said it when the show started. I, I mean, to me, uh, Chase Briscoe spun himself out. He did not take the leader with him. I love that part. And so 
you know, we saw, if you go back and you watch how Denny Hamlin wins a race, he fires that thing down in the corner. And, I mean, he's way deep in the corner, and he's able to keep control. Right here, Chase Briscoe tries to do the same thing, and it just rolls around on him. Yes, it's the driver's job to not spin the car out. It's also the driver's job to go do everything he can to race. I give Chase Briscoe a lot of credit. I did not like what he did at Bristol. I did not like that he was making a move on somebody with no – there was no opportunity to make that pass. I didn't like that. I do understand it, but I didn't like it. This week, he made that aggressive move, and when it didn't work out, the only person that cost is him. And that's, that is, to me, he so learned something he at Bristol. That, if he takes out Larson, is it a problem then? Yes. Okay. Yes. He, he learned something at Bristol. Move. He learned something at Bristol, and he didn't take somebody with him this time. Yep. And, but but back to, your, back to your, your conversation about crew chief pumping up drivers after they spin out, you better be ready. The crew chiefs in this, with this car need to just accept, my driver's going to wreck three, four times a year. That's how it used to be. When I drove, I had three, I gave myself three or four wrecks a year. It was okay. We're back to that. Yep. We're back to, we didn't wreck. And we should cheer it on. Four or five years ago, nobody wrecked. Nobody wrecked. And now you have to put this car over the limit and mm -hmm. you're going to spin the thing out. You're going to wreck it sometimes. You're mm -hmm. going to have to. That's just the nature of the beast right now. So the crew chiefs need to, need to recognize that. And when, some, when their driver oversteps the bounds, they need to pump them up, say, hey, it's going to be okay. I know why you did it. That's what Chase Briscoe, in my opinion, was doing. So, Dustin, I look at it like this. Even wrecking, these drivers have, they have the ultimate control of their vehicle, even yeah. when it goes out of control. So Jeff's analysis of not affecting the five is spot on. Yeah. I hated the move at dirt because I didn't think that was a move. Yeah. I thought that was a Hail Mary that yeah. it didn't take talent to make, is my point. I think anybody in the field could have just drove in there over his head and ran into him, right? Yeah. That move at Charlotte was not a Hail Mary. That was a calculated, I have to beat him into the corner. He knew how to win the race, and he spun out doing it. As a crew chief, I can work overtime for Chase Briscoe. I love it. I, could, I can work overtime for a guy that is willing to put his reputation, put his talent on display and have it fall short. Remember, they've won a race. That gives them the opportunity to be aggressive. And I love what I'm seeing out of Chase Prisco, and I love the growth because, like I said, I do think there's a difference between the leader and not affecting the leader. Um, and, and I am super, super um, encouraged to see that sort of aggression, as we all should be as a race fan. What does it, okay, obviously in your role as a crew chief, a crew member, so what is it, what, you know, so much depends on the, you know, the feelings of the crew guys and just building them up. So what, what does it do for the team when they see this compared to Bristol or when they see a guy who's done this at Indy Road Course, you know, contact with Hamlin, the, the Bristol thing, and then this? How, how does a team react or does that build uh, the yeah. camaraderie? So listen, teams um, get over lost opportunities to win a race in a spectacular fashion way quicker than a driver complaining and running 17th and, and whether he is or isn't giving his best, if they don't feel he's giving his best, that destroys a team way more than spinning a race car out. And to Jeff's point, I think, as we should all applaud, that it has always been very difficult. I never want to discount what drivers have been asked to do at any season of NASCAR. But the difficulty has never been on more display than it is this year. Now the oversteps, the big corrections, have turned into spun-out race cars. And I love it. I think it's great for the sport. So when I look at Chase Briscoe, impressive. And like I said, I'd work overtime for him. So here's the other thing, Dustin. If you're a crew member at Stuart Haas Racing, Kevin Harvick's been whipping your butt. There's been nobody that's been mm -hmm. able to run with Kevin Harvick yeah. at Stuart Haas Racing. Now there's been bits and pieces. 
We saw last year Almirola won New Hampshire. There's yeah, been, yeah. but overall, oh, the four Kevin's has the been light years yeah. ahead. We are starting to see Chase Briscoe consistently put himself in position to win races, put himself in position to be with right behind or right in front of Kevin Harvick. If you're a crew member at Stuart Haas Racing, this is new, something new. This is something you've not been seeing. So if you're on that team, you're like, hey, we're getting close to being the team here at Stuart Haas Racing. And if you're the team, you know how it works, Steve. If you're the team that's running up front, you're the one that drives the ship. You're the one that gets the changes that you need because the, t- the, the organization looks and they say, okay, who gives their best chance to win? Yeah. Right? Okay, it's that team. That means they're the best. It's not that we're showing favoritism, but they're going to take us to the promised land. So we're going to give them what they need. That's how it works. So if you can be Chase Briscoe and that team and start putting pressure on upper management, now you start getting the best pit crew. You start getting what you need. The, ball, the things change. So does that put? How does that challenge the four team and, and Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvey because they've been the top dog for for so long? There does I that, think or their resume is so impressive yeah. that yeah. I don't think they have yeah. to answer anybody but themselves. That's the beauty of having a Kevin Harvick. I had a Jeff Gordon. Yeah. I knew what that felt like. I had a Dale Jr. who was popular but felt the opposite. Felt we had to prove ourselves again at Hendrick Motorsports, and we ended up there. Um, I think that's a great point. Listen, it's in human nature, we all go to a restaurant where we're guaranteed to get a good meal, right? Well, as a decision maker in a race team, you're going to give the best tools to the teams that give you the best results. I mean, that's just how it works. A team that I thought was going to have the best result, 18th of points, 22 points below the cut line, Austin Dillon. Four tires, big move out of the three car. And I will say the first 80% of this move is exactly what he needed to do. <laughs> and I'm going to judge it in hindsight. You know, five days later, very easy to judge it. This, awesome, great, spectacular. You haven't won. You haven't won. Why are you so deep in the corner? All you had to do is basically get to his left rear, and I think you you complete this pass in one and two. Now, that's just my opinion. He drove in so deep, both him and the five checked up. I'm fine with the wreck. You know what the wreck looks like to me? Four guys that want to win the Coca-Cola 600. I love it. I have no issue with Austin's move. I just hate that I thought... You know, there's 10% he could have he could have still won that race if he somehow could have just got that car slowed down a little more. He just got almost too committed inside the five. If we well, let's watch this replay again, if we can pull pull that replay up one more time, because so to have success with this car, you have to drive it far into the corner. There's yeah. no other way. Watch what happens. We'll, so we'll watch this whole sequence right it's here. Spectacular, it, it, right? Where the, is he? I mean, yeah. this is great. There so the whole yeah, there he is. He's making a big bold move on the outside. He's got tires. He's like, I got to go. I got to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Great move right here on the outside of Sin Al, who again ran well all night long. Big run. Now he's got a decision. I'm going three wide on the bottom. Logano can't block him. Now I got tires. I'm gonna drive in deep. Okay, so watch what happens when he gets up the racetrack. Now the 11 gets under him right here. That moves this car to the right. Yeah. That air pushes this car to the right, and now they're two wide on the outside of him. They're four wide. Mm-hmm. It ain't going to work. So if you, when I look at it, I go back and I'm like, I don't know what Austin could have done different except just slow down. Yeah, exactly. But you're not going to win a race if you slow down. This is so, a Coca-Cola 600. I mean, he hasn't won a race yet. He's he trying did, to get and, into a playoff yeah, spot. So. And, and we just talked about not taking the leader out, right? Well, he wasn't He wasn't in the left rear quarter panel. He wasn't. They checked up to not wreck the five. Correct. he could have easily sent him up the track. Correct. And they just all got stacked up behind him, totally and now they're four yeah. wide. So I think that's a reasonable, you know, when you go full send in the corner, you're not real sure what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought I thought he ha- I thought he gave himself the best shot to win the race by making that move at that time. Yeah, and, and and I believe that to your point. Now there was a big wreck, and people could talk about all they want, but that was a lack of real estate off turn four. 
he did not wreck the five. Now, they all got into a wreck, but he drove in there and checked up, and him and the five put on a great race. Now, I wish they could have finished the last lap because Joey Logano could have won for all we know, who was going to get momentum a lap later. Uh, but it was a great move. And then, listen, then the highlight of the week that you're going to see everywhere has got to be Chris Buescher. I've seen a lot of accidents in my day. This one made me scratch my head because it's a relatively low-speed tumble in the world of low-speed tumbles, but it doesn't look like it because this thing flips four or five times. Big wreck off turn four. The suspension breaks off. Looks like it goes under the car. There's a tether that keeps that from basically going into the grandstands. Great move. But that tether snaps that car over, and he goes for a violent tumble. So, so, so can anything be learned from this? I mean, obviously, this is the first time the, uh, a car from the next-gen era has tumbled, and we see what happens. And, and, and obviously, with the accident here with Suarez, and, and then here comes the chaos, and there goes everybody down and inside. And then Chris, you know, first, you know, people thought, hey, he hit a drainage or something. Then look at the, the roll there. What can be learned from this type of accident, or is there anything in terms of the suspension? Obviously. Still learning about this car as we go along. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what NASCAR has to say because I don't know what you do with the tether. Maybe the tether length is too long, too short. Who knows, right? Maybe, maybe there's something there that a very smart person, smarter than me, is going to figure out. I do think it's important that we, we hear from Chris. And he says, hey, I banged my knee. I did this. I did this. What can we do better in the cockpit? I do want to say, you and I have had this conversation. NASCAR comes and they tip the, the thing back over. And my anxiety was building because I'm like, man, I want them to hurry. But in hindsight, uh, there is a there is a AMR safety worker in the window net. I'm talking a few seconds, 10, 20, 30 seconds after this car comes to rest. I'm going to assume that they, at that point, understood Chris's well-being. And then, perhaps, the drawn-out version of tipping it back over is exactly what you want, not to make it worse. If you know you have a, a healthy driver, I will say the job of turning it back over and how easily they set the car down, bravo. I mean, this is 3,400 pounds you're trying to flip back over. This isn't a go-kart. Uh, they make it look easier than I think it would be. Well, they, they spent a tremendous amount of time in the offseason working with this, this generation of car, learning how to flip it back over. I mean, there's so many things that can happen when a car gets on its roof. Uh, and they had to, I mean, think about it. Now you've got a whole floor full of carbon. What happens if there's a fire? They had to do a lot of work to make sure they were ready. I thought they did a great job flipping over. I didn't like how long it took to get the right record to the yeah, car. I, that's the only part. I, the, the, Chris was fine. Mm -hmm. They were checking on him. They were mm -hmm. all there, ready with fire extinguishers, ready to take care of if there was a problem that popped up. So at that point, calmness is probably a good thing. I would like to have seen that record get hooked to that car quicker mm -hmm. so you could get it over quicker. I say that because I had anxiety about being upside down oh. on the car. I never, I never flipped. Oh never flipped. Not right and, and, uh, and, and yeah, no, never flipped. And so I always had anxiety about hanging upside down in that car. Like, how long is it going to take? And, and when, when that happened, that's what was going through my mm -hmm. mind. But they were down there talking to me. Right. But that's the only, the only comment I have is I'd just like to see that record get to the car a little bit quicker. Yeah, I, th I think it's just uh, it's about doing this a lot quicker and speeding up the process. And obviously, I mean, look, we can say five minutes isn't a lot of time, and in one sense it isn't. But, again, I, do I want to be hanging upside down for five minutes? <laughs> right. I don't. Um, right. And, again, you know, if I have a, you know, if I have a little bit of anxiety about being upside down, then five minutes seems like five hours, even, even with somebody there reassuring. And, obviously, that's an important thing to have somebody there who's reassuring right. and talking me through it. And I'm sure, you know, that helps in that situation. Uh, but, you know, the hope is that, well, well, the hope is you don't have this happening, but realistically it's going to. 
And so that they learn this process and can you cut five minutes down to four minutes? Yeah, can right. it go down to 3.30 or something like that? At some, obviously, there's only going to be a window where it's, you're only going to go down so far, but can you cut 30 seconds off? And that can be significant for the driver. Yeah, and I believe NASCAR is going to review this as well. I will say uh, rolling it over easy gives me less concern if, say, he was injured, broken arm, broken leg, that they can roll it over in a manner to not you know, make worse and a certain injury. Uh, the other thing, and I hate it happened to Chris Butcher, but bravo to the race fan. You want to know what an underwing and a diffuser and the underneath <laughs> one of these cars look like? It was on display underneath uh, the 17 car at the front stretch at Charlotte Motor Speedway. The glass is half full. Hey, Let's listen, see you know, I like the technical He's side. a half full guy. And now we get to see it. But listen, we've talked about the chaos. We're going to get to talk to a driver who was in the chaos, Ty Dillon, top 15 at the Coca-Cola 600. is going to join us after the break. Call in. Have a question for Ty. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Trouble, two cars get together and the caution flag is out for the first time tonight. Trouble got a car in the wall. We got Turn number two, we've got a car into the outside wall. Chase Elliott wins stage number one. Got a car spinning down the front stretch, and that looks like Bubba Wallace. That's our sixth yellow flag of the day. Trouble! We got a car in the wall. Caution flag number seven. Oh, spin. Trouble. Trouble out of turn four. It is Kyle Larson as it brings out the caution flag. Chase Elliott brings out the caution. And we've got a car spinning. Daniel Suarez for win stage number two. And we got a car into the outside wall. Off turn two, the caution will come out. Problems along the front stretch. That's our 13th yellow flag. Chastain is going to cruise to victory here in stage three. And the yellow flag comes out. Problems for Tyler Reddick. Daniel Suarez gets sideways. Chris Bush's car flipping the 16th yellow flag of the day. Chase Briscoe spins. The caution comes out. Well, that was a Coca-Cola Cola 600 in about 45 seconds. Uh, one guy we did not see in any of those pictures was our guest, Ty Dillon. That's a good thing, Ty. 13th place finish. I know you wanted a little more there at the end, but how was your Coke 600? Yeah, it was a good race for us. Um, like any, anybody, it was a, definitely an endurance race. We, we started the race, actually race day. I needed to make an adjustment to my steering column. My, my steering wheel is a little close to, to my chest, which I was afraid was going to make my arms go numb. So we adjusted it race day morning, and uh, when we did so, we ended up getting the two aluminum clasps stuck together. So when I pulled off pit road, uh, just an overall team mistake on all of our parts, me included, and uh, I was like, oh, boy, we're in trouble. So the first 100 laps, I spent barely uh, using every bit of muscle in my body uh, trying to get the wheel just to turn and finally ground up enough surface area around the, the uh, aluminum clasp to where it freed back up again. So... Uh, we we kind of put ourselves in a little bit of a hole there to start, but uh, then then had a pretty decent race car after that. Was able to stay you know up inside the top 20, top 18 most of the race. Dodged some crashes, probably about 12 of them, and then um, then we had a, a left rear tire delaminate, so that put us a lap lap down. 
and uh, we're able to battle back and get a top 15. Obviously, we want to get some more speed. We get we got to cash in some of those stage points, uh, but the finishes are certainly there. We're doing the right things to, to be there at the end. And I think if we get the speed with our 42 team, we're, we're really going to be, be strong here coming to the end of the year. So, Ty, how did you manage to avoid most of those accidents? <laughs> I mean, that's a, you should get an award for that. Yeah, you know, I have a great spotter, Chris Monez, who always helps me out. But I think just, just looking ahead, you know, is expecting it. Once you start seeing a couple in the first stage, you know it's going to be a long night. We don't tend to back down, even though if there's trouble early. So um, it just seemed like it was one of those nights, and you kind of had to be prepared for it. And I think the, the closest one was probably the last one there with Chris flipping. Um, I, I just I kind of glued myself to Truex's bumper and said, hey, if, hopefully they get him first and I make it through, and we both made it through. So uh, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes you, you can kind of see it coming. It's a lot to do with centrifugal force. Momentum's going to carry a crash to the top of the track, and then it's all about timing of your speed and, and how you approach the crash and, and where you need to go, whether it's high or low. But there's a little bit of science, I think, to missing crashes, and I, I've been fortunate enough to do pretty well at that in, in my career. So, Ty, uh, it was a marathon, five hours and 16 minutes. You mentioned that the physical challenge you had early in the race. How much does that take out of a driver, right? We're looking ahead to Gateway, which we'll get into in a minute, a track that I have never been to. I don't think you've ever been to. A lot of the field hasn't been to. But it's a short week, right? Sunday night, we're going to head out to Gateway Friday. So he's like, you're outside. You're outside with the family. Like, what does a driver need to do to kind of rehydrate, reload, and be ready to jump back in a race car just four or five days later? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is something I, I kind of obsess about. It's something I'm really into is health and wellness and, and making sure my body's prepared for the hot summer and, and uh, being there at the end of these long races. I think I attribute to some of my success of being around at these end of the races and missing crashes to just physical fitness and, and being mentally fresh by the end of these races. And I have a great driving coach and trainer and Blake Cook. So uh, we really we really take into account our recovery each week. Um, I had a cool meeting. I got an opportunity to go to the Panthers uh, practice a couple of days a couple of weeks ago and uh, meet with some of their sports science guys and, and they gave me some tools and things to help recover my body but it is very important in these, this day and age you can see we're all on edge and we're fighting every single lap and if you can't use every bit of your physical strength for every single lap you're giving up time you're giving up speed so that's something I take very serious and uh, so this week's all been about recovery getting good sleep making sure my mind is fresh uh, but also getting back in the gym, making sure my body doesn't get lethargic and stiff for the next weekend. So there's a lot that goes into it. We have a pretty pretty rigorous schedule um, during the week, Blake and I do, as far as keeping myself trained. But you also got to have some time for your mind to settle down. And for me, that's hanging with my kids like I am today, this afternoon at the pool. So you, you talked about being on edge. How hard is it to drive this race car? <laughs> it, it's It's really hard. You know, it's, I think, what you know being out I, I consider being out of the sport for pretty much a year in, in the cup series when i left the aggressiveness was what i thought was high i came back and they didn't stop getting aggressive and it just seems like each week it grows even more and i think these cars are hard to drive the edge has always been everybody's always put the cars race cars on the edge the edge is different in this car i think you can just push this car so hard that the edge is now how far do you want to push it against the competition and you see people using people up more, driving people off the track, driving in the corner a little bit further because that edge is different. I think this car allows you to drive in the corner deeper. I think you're seeing a lot more hard dives and charges into the corner to try to complete passes because sometimes when you get that pass completed, your car ends up gripping up again. So for me, it's been a, you know, a huge learning curve, obviously, for everyone. 
um, me being out of the car, you know, I feel like I have to double up each week and trying to gain experience because everybody else is getting good too. So um, it's just a different level of aggressiveness and a different way to use this car. And um, they're tough to drive and, and it makes it fun and makes it a challenge. And you really feel like a race car driver driving these things. Hey, Ty, looking ahead to this weekend at, at Gateway, as you mentioned, you haven't raced there. And certainly, uh, I think it's like about 24 drivers have raced there, but only four have been there since the repave. So as somebody who doesn't have that experience there, are you really at much of a disadvantage? And how do you try to catch up if you feel like you're a little bit behind going into this weekend? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think I have a disadvantage. I like the fact that we get 50 minutes of practice this week. I think that definitely helps me. The last time we did that was at Bristol, and we had a really good showing. It just... I have a really young team and, and a bunch of new guys in, in a new situation, so all the chances we can get to communicate and work together a little bit longer is good for us. Um, I'm probably going to end up, by the, end, by the time we get to, to this racetrack, with about 8 to 10 hours of simulator time between my iRacing rig. Uh, RCR has a rig that we're allowed to use, and so does Chevrolet. So I, I eat that time up. It helps me a lot, so I try to feel very confident and, and stress-free when we get there and just focus on going fast. Well, Ty, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, congratulations on a good run last weekend, and uh, good luck at Gateway. It sounds like it's going to be a challenge. Not many people yeah. know what the tra track's going to be like, so good luck, man. Thank you, guys. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so Ty Dillon, he'll be fun to watch this weekend. And when we come back, we got somebody that's always fun to have on. We got our guy, Brad Doherty. He's going to join us. Always like hearing what he has to say about what's going on in the sport today. Oh, he's flexing. He's ready. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. This sucks. It's chaos out there. I mean, the car, you can't drive the car um, any slight bit. Um, sideways is, is wrecked and so somebody gets a little bit sideways and, and we all wrecked so chaos just a shame to uh be involved in that guess the tire just ripped off and sent us flipping so uh, i guess it happened upside down before but that was one was a bit more painful than the talladega roll so i knew that this race was just going to be just a battle of attrition and forever almost six hours the first half was uh, a struggle uh, for all of us, but I was especially frustrated with myself, so. You got a copy on me, Kyle? Yep, let's hear it. I'm ready. A new guy. In the first half, all I want you to remember is how good a TV we made. We went from the back to the front more times than I can count. We hit the wall, we spun out, we literally caught on fire. We are also the most penalized team on the road in the first half. All that means is that in the second half, already we're going to be starting way better than what we started the first half. We've got to go execute right now. I don't really know what the hell you're worried about, but I'm fine. The team's fine. Everybody down here is nodding their heads and giving a thumbs up, so let's go. Yep, I'm fine. I'm ready. To rebound from that and, and have a shot to win there, Late was uh, was something to be proud of. Yeah, just I was driving 110 percent. I should have been only running 90 to 100. And it was a crown jewel race, and, and you know it was dangling right there in front of me. And I just I tried too hard, plain and simple. Briscoe was really good uh, that long long run there, and um, wish we would have just been a little bit better, so he never would have got to me to uh, you know work really hard and, and then ultimately spin. So I just got a little loose right there and tried to make it stick, and didn't quite work out there. I sent it in there. I had to do what I had to do, and 
try to win the race where we are in points. We had a shot right there, and that's all I can ask for. It was been cool to bring home another 600. Last uh, big one that's not on my resume. It, it meant so much, and uh, I've been a Coke uh, family driver for 18 years and uh, never won the Coke 600 before, so this means a lot, and uh, what a battle there. Welcome back to Motor Mouse. As you can see, the most consecutive top 10 finishes. I guess this would be like the stock market, and these are the hot stocks right now. We'd be looking at who's the top of that with the long uh, top 10 streaks with Ricky Stenhouse, Christopher Bell with four each. And now we bring in the car owner of Ricky Stenhouse's team, JT, of JTT Doherty, Brad Doherty. And hey, Brad, your guy's at the top right there with four straight top 10 finishes. Uh, how does it feel, and what are you guys doing differently than, than what happened at the beginning of the season when things weren't going your way? Uh, I feel great. I take all the credit. I give him all the all my driving knowledge has gotten him dialed in, these top ten finishes. No, I, I tell you, the last four weeks seriously have uh, have been all on Ricky Stenhouse. You know, we, we got off to a, a pretty good start at Daytona. Uh, thought we were going to win the Daytona 500. Brad Keselowski wrecked us. Ran us in the fence, ruined our day. We go on the next week, we finished 10th, had a good, decent run. And then three weeks straight, we had motor problems. Uh, we were having significant motor problems, and it just buried us. I mean, it buried us. Uh, we get our motor issues figured out. We come back at Atlanta. We're leading the race. We blow a right rear tire. We started going through all that, Malay. So it's just been a struggle. Uh, you know, we get, our, we get our engines from the good folks over at Hendrix Motorsports. I talked to Rick. I mean, he, he feels horrible about the engine issues we've had. Uh, they, they've made it up for us in spades, so we're excited about that. But it's a big hole. And then the last several weeks, I've just told Ricky, you know, over and over and over, we've talked about this the last two years. Got to stop wrecking race cars. Got to stop speeding on pit road. You know, just take a breath every once in a while. You don't have to race everybody, everybody's rear fender so hard every lap. Just try to get to the end of the day. And I'll give him credit. I mean, this is a veteran race car driver. Uh, he's set in his ways in a lot of ways. Ricky charges hard. He pushes hard. But he's pulled back just a little bit and given himself an opportunity to be there at the end of the day. And we've run really well over the last several weeks, had some good, strong finishes, and uh, we're excited. We're going to go to Gateway, and we hope we can get up front and have a chance to win this thing. So, Brad, I was accused of being a glass half full of guy a minute ago. So, unfortunately, now you're going to get the glass half empty version of me. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. You know, we look at owners and what they bring to their team. Right, you're a professional athlete who, who right. rose to the absolute top of the sport that you played. I always had a fear as a crew chief when we have a good streak that we get a little overconfident, that we forget blocks and tackles, that we forget the, what got us to those four top tens in a row. So you as an owner, what role yeah. do you take in this? Are you, do you reach out to a guy like Ricky? You have so much experience in competition. It doesn't matter if you're driving a car or dribbling a ball. Competition is competition. Do you kind of yes, try sir. to coach him to not maybe get a little too uh, confident with this great streak you're on? Oh, 100%. Uh, just last week, I go in the race shop, and I spent, I talked to our whole team. I mean, I told everyone, you know, we're a small race team. We've got 50 people work on our race car. We build our own race cars. We're independent to that degree, and we're racers. But I tell them, every year, even when we were a two-car team, when it comes June in this sport, it is the dog days for teams like ours because usually the big teams have got it pretty much figured out and they start stacking chips trying to gain points to win a championship, and they run over us. And I told our guys last week, we still have a window of opportunity because those big teams 
are still trying to figure some of this out, but they're going to figure it out. And they're going to whip our behinds, and it's going to be tough. So what we've done over these last few weeks, yeah, it's been it's been significant for our small team, but it doesn't mean anything to those guys. And so when we go to Gateway, when we go to Sonoma, they're going to try to step on our heads, and we have got to compete. And the biggest thing is we've got to eliminate mistakes. When you're small, we can't speed on pit road. You know, we watched for three years. Denny Hamlin sped on pit road every week and still ended up, you know, in the championship hunt. We can't do that. So the, the little mistakes we have to eliminate, and we've got to start, you know, making sure that we dot all our I's and cross all our T's because it's coming. They're going to figure this car out sooner or later, and when they do, it's going to be on. So we have to go and take advantage and be ready to race every lap and, most importantly, be there at the end of the day. So, so Brad, you mentioned all that. And I, I, that all sounds good, but as a yeah. car owner, you also want to make the playoffs. Absolutely. So how so – how, with the yeah. trouble that you had with the engines and the trouble, you know, you're in a position in points that would be very difficult yeah. to point yourself in. So, oh, so really? how do you look yep. at Ricky and say, hey, I need you to be cool. I need you to run all the laps. But we need to win a race to get in the playoffs. <laughs> how do you yeah, do both of Yeah, we were such a big hole. Even winning a race didn't really guarantee anything. And I, I had that conversation with him. I need him to get better. I want him to get better. This is a long-term opportunity for him. We're going to be in this sport hopefully another 20 years, and he's our guy. So no matter no matter what we're fighting for, and that's to be in the playoffs, obviously. But today is the day we got to focus on. So we got to focus on going to Gateway, going to Sonoma. It's one day at a time. The whole win, the whole winning the race and the playoff thing. That's that that picture's been mur- it's been murky for us. It's muddy for us right now. We all understand that, and we all have the excuse of what happened with those three races. We get that. We got to get better. If we continue to get better, we'll be prepared when our opportunity comes. If that comes this year, great. If it comes next year, great. But we've been working on this with Ricky the last couple of years. I mean, two years ago, we had enough bent sheet metal outside of my race shop. It was three stories high. I mean, we could have built a small community out of all the race cars we had from Ricky Stenhouse. So it's it's about him getting better. We're going to give him the opportunity and the longevity to get better so when we're ready to take advantage of that opportunity, whether it's this year or maybe next year, we're going to take advantage of it. So I, I hear you. We try to keep people fired up and keep them positive because we're in a big hole. But if we go out and we win a race or we run in the top five consistently, we're showing what we can do. And that's that's even more important for a little team like ours than winning Daytona or, or winning Talladega, which is, you know, you can get lucky and do. Anyone can win. But if we go out and we can run – Top 10 at, uh, you know, the World 600 or Darlington, where, you know, a couple years ago, we wrecked the whole field. We went there this year, and we put it on them. I had a chance to win it. So that's that's the, that's what I want to see. I want to see us getting better and better and better. We're here for the long haul. We want to win a championship. We want to win races. Everybody in this sport does. But realistically, that's a tall order for us. We want to win the night. We want to win the day. We want to win practice. We want to win qualifying. Then we want to win a race. So that's the step we're taking, and sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. Well, this show's about the fans, and we've got one on the line for you, Brad. Welcome to the show, Nass Carl. And what's your question for Brad today? Hey, Brad, man, you, you talk about whipping them. I'm seeing y'all getting up there. I see them jabs you're coming with. Yes, sir. You and Dustin, you, you and Dustin kind of already asked and answered my question about what would one thing, I was going to say one thing that you could contribute to this streak, but let's go this route. 
not only I know you have a little team, and I know they all bust their tails for you, but when you maintain a consistency like this, what is the chances that big names that are in them garage and them other teams want to come help and build your team better? Can you speak on that? Yeah, you know, one of the, the biggest proponents, one of our biggest fans has been uh, Rick Hendrick. Uh, I talked to him quite a bit. He's, he's, he's watching what we're doing. And uh, he, he tells me all the time, man, if there's anything I can do to help you, just, just ask. Because, you know, we don't, we don't like to ask. You know, we're, we're, we're racers. We're trying to figure it out. So I get that. I talk to Michael Jordan all the time. I wear him out because we whoop day behind every week. And I let him know it. But he's watching my team. He's like, you guys are doing this. You're doing that. I see you. You're racing hard. So, yeah, we have a lot of people around the sport saying, you guys, keep it up. Keep it up. Because this is hard. This is a dog-eat-dog world in this sport. It's hard to get all these pieces and parts lined up and go have a successful weekend. So many little things can derail that. So when you have a few weeks of, of good, solid runs and show the potentials there, yeah, we're, we're excited, NASCAR. We're going we're gonna to keep on trying our darndest, no matter what. Even when we were down those three races and, in a, and the clouds were dark, we kept pushing. We're going to push through it. We're going to get better. We're going to get the racetracks that we have success at, and then we're going to learn at the other one. So we're excited. People taking notice. Uh, man, we're happy. We're very, very happy. We'd like to have those three races back, but we don't. So we're going to make the next next three races. We're going to make up for those. All right. Thanks a lot, Brad. Really appreciate it. And we'll see if you can uh, make that uh, for your team five consecutive top ten finishes this weekend at Gateway. But I'll tell you what, you know, one person will be racing against you at your team this weekend will be Parker Kligerman's going to be in the car. And we're going to get to uh, talk with Parker about his opportunity this weekend at Gateway coming up here on, on Motor Mouse with Steve Letarte, Jeff Burton, and myself. Hey, Parker. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. When they was raiding my house over there, they grabbed her and threw her down. She just got out of the shower. Got her in handcuffs, you know, face planted to the floor for no reason whatsoever. You know, she's not going to shoot them or hurt anybody. And uh, one of the detectives did, and he said, I need to see you for a second. You know, so I walked over the side, and he had his hand like this, and you see like a, you know, like plastic on the other end of it, just barely a piece of plastic sticking out of his hand. He said, you know what I got here in my hand? I said, no. He said, uh, we found meth in your safe. I said, you didn't find meth in my safe because ain't, there ain't no meth here, you know. Yeah, there is. He said, yeah, we found this. And all I could see was just barely something sticking out. You're saying whatever he held in his hand was not meth? No. and It didn't come from my safe, whatever was in and his it, hand. And, and there certainly wasn't anything in your safe. No. You're saying that. And they got in your safe how? I let them in my safe. You let them in the yeah, safe? Yeah, you know, they wanted in my safe. I was like, okay, now you walk in there and had a, a gun room and had a bunch of guns in it. And it was, you know, and, and something that was in my safe was I had a bunch of coins and all the stuff that I'd put in little plastic you know, wrappers that you put coins in. You know, if I found a silver dollar or whatever, you know, I had all that stuff in there. So I had baggies in there. But there's no meth in there, no drugs in there, you know. How many counts were there? 28, something like that? Yeah. 28. Of the 28, you're saying that there was there, there was complete innocence in all 28 of those counts? You don't want to miss Dale Jr. Download with Jeremy Mayfield at 6 o'clock tomorrow on Peacock. Then we have a little Monster Jam out from Anaheim, IMSA. 
back in action up at Detroit, as well as the NTT IndyCar Series back at Belle Isle, and then MotoGP, so a full weekend of motorsports ahead. It's going to be a big week. On the Cup Series side, we're going to see a new track for the NASCAR Cup Series this weekend. We're going to head out to St. Louis and see at Gateway Worldwide Technology Raceway. Parker Kligerman found a way. First of all, has joined us, and he'll do anything to not work an IMSA race. So he went ahead and found a car to drive <laughs> in the Cup race. Uh, so tell, break the news, Parker, because I've heard a lot of snippets. You're driving the 15 for Rick Ware this weekend in the Cup Series. Right, yeah, it, uh, it came together a little bit last minute. Actually, yesterday, you know, they reached out and just seen if I was available for the weekend. I think they had some alternative plans that just sort of didn't work out the way they'd hoped. But, you know, I think this really started, um, as you mentioned, sort of an IMSA race a couple weeks ago. Rick Ware obviously has a car racing in the IMSA GT Series. And, uh, you know, we're just chatting one day, two NASCAR guys in the IMSA paddock chatting about NASCAR. And he just said, hey, you know, if there's ever an opportunity – um, would you ever be interested in driving one of our cars? And I said, hey, look, next-gen era, I'd love to drive that car. I'd love to get an opportunity just to get in one of these things and experience it and to understand, you know, this monumental change in our sport. Um, and as a driver, you know, especially with what we've seen in terms of the competitiveness of, of all the teams in this next-gen era, especially this first season, uh, it, it just seems like a very, you know, obviously a very tough thing to drive these cars, but obviously a lot of opportunity at hand too. So I, uh, I was excited when I got the, you know, the call and, you know, we've, uh, we've been able to put it together and hopefully, you know, I need to do a couple things. One is learn really quickly. Um, and it's gonna be like drinking through a fire hose. It already has been in the last 24 hours. Uh, and then that two is, you know, go out there and have a great successful run. Um, and that's a hard task, you know, how different this car is and how many things are, you know, just as a driver you're experiencing that we haven't before. Um, but that's why I wanted to do it. And we've got a 50-minute practice, which is basically basically like a test day in this day and age. So um, <laughs> I think that should hopefully be enough. Well, Parker, first, congratulations. Uh, you know what I think about you as a race car driver. Uh, you do a really good job. Everything you sit in, you make go fast. Uh, congratulations. You deserve it. Uh, but tell me about your experience at Gateway. Can you go there? Is there an advantage? Is there a disadvantage? What you got? Not a ton. Um, many, many years ago, I went there and practiced and qualified the 22 car in Xfinity, which was then nationwide. So I don't know if I have, you know, I know there's some guys that have raced it in trucks and then maybe more recently raced in Xfinity or more recently in trucks and then maybe a little further back in Xfinity. But you know, when I look at that roster of people who have raced there, um, or, you know, at least the length of time it's been since they have, you know, I really think it's it's a very much, uh, you know, a clean clean sheet, you know, a little bit, especially with the ways we've seen the track be prepared in the last couple of years, and sort of the questions around, you know, how that's affected, and sort of how it's changed, how you drove it when it was prepared differently, so... I think there's there's a lot of unknowns. I think for me though, more so than this track, although it's a really unique track and I think it's a really interesting one and I especially the next gen car in terms of shifting and such is gonna be fascinating. I think the you know, for me it's learning the car. Like that's the big X factor in my mind. And I think that for you know, has been for the first couple months of this season for all the drivers and teams and I definitely uh, I definitely think that's sort of the thing I'm I'm more focused on is how do I maximize understanding this car? And, you know, at the same time, tracks, I feel like at the pro level, we figure out pretty quickly. 
Well, well, Parker, what what else kind of intrigues you about getting your opportunity to be in this car and and, and driving it? What what kind of stands out to you about you know because it's so different than anything else in a way, or is it similar to something in in your past? I've tried to think about that. I, I think my best uh, reference has been pit reporting and IMSA races and listening to GT drivers talk about how those cars drive and that sort of thing, what they deal with over there. But, uh, you know, I did have a bit of open-wheel background back in the day, and there are some consistencies uh, from that as well that I've heard in talking to different drivers and, you know, just over the last couple months do my due diligence just as a fan and as a, you know, as someone as a commentator here for NBC and then, you know, also my interest has always been peaked as a driver to say, okay, what are you guys experiencing? What's, you know, what's going on in these cars? And I think that's what's just exciting to me. But, you know, if this is a one-off and one and done, you know, for the foreseeable future, but when we take over uh, on the broadcast side, you know, for NBC Sports and, and, you know, Peacock and start broadcasting these races, hopefully there's some things that from this one experience I can take to that broadcast, right? That we, uh, you know, that maybe I noticed or felt or we can listen to drivers talk about and say you know what i felt that same thing i know what they're talking about um and i i really hope you know just sort of just use it as as a as a way to gain as much experience and learn as quick as possible because i think that's the way i'm doing this is you know one i definitely want to have this very successful weekend for rick Ware racing but i also really really want to just do my best to consistently learn take great notes and truly understand this car and sort of what's, you know, modern day uh, NASCAR Cup Series racing. If you look behind me, I have a whiteboard. I don't know if you can see it. Normally there's a lot of stuff on there. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing there. That's the amount of notes I'm going into this weekend with. <laughs> Parker, good luck, man. And I agree. I can't wait to hear your feedback and, and everything you found out from this car. Uh, it's going to help. We're only a few short weeks away from our half of the season. So you're going to do all the homework for us. Take good notes. Your whiteboard's empty now. Fill it up and bring it to us. De- definitely will. I'll take some photos sent your way uh, with some of those notes I take down. All right. Thanks, Parker. Good luck. Interesting. Uh, a lot to digest there. We only got about a minute left. Gateway, expectations? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Gateway, the last few years, they, they've been treating the racetrack with resin. They didn't do it this race. Who knows what's going to happen? That upper groove was really good. Without treating it, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of questions going into this weekend, which... I think it's good. I yeah. think a little more unknown is, is good for us all. All right, 45 seconds. Indiana, man, how about the market? We talk a lot about the racetrack. How important is it for NASCAR to be showing up at the Arch, St. Louis? Critical to get back into, to get into new markets, to expand the sport, to, to go off into new cities. Obviously, the Xfinity in Portland this weekend, that's another big event and an inaugural event, new market for the series in that sense. So, a uh, big weekend for the sport with uh, Xfinity and, and Cup for these, these races. This is why we bring D-Lo in, because we didn't mention Portland all day no, until a man shows up. We completely forgot about that new racetrack. Well, listen. Every week, Monday, Wednesday, NASCAR America Motor Miles. Thursday, Dale Jr. Download. Tune in tomorrow, Jeremy Mayfield. Come back next week. We'll follow up on Gateway. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.